Well, we're continuing with our series in Acts. Shocker. <laughs> Is this guy getting funny? <laughs> it, well, maybe not. Uh, so we're continuing in the book of Acts, and this is our 19th week in, in Acts. This is the longest series in OSC history. I, I, I'm proud to hold the record for the longest series in OSC history. <laughs> um, my mom uh, passed away at the age of 45 of brain cancer. Um, she had two major brain surgeries, and it came on her uh, rather quickly. She all of a sudden one day uh, couldn't function like she could normally function. Um, she, her, her vision was blurred. She, her, her, she had headaches she couldn't get rid of. Um, she, she couldn't make sense of her words. All of a sudden it just came on her. And after a bunch of tests and a bunch of major doctors, she got diagnosed with brain cancer by a part-time doctor filling in for the weekend in Franklin Foundation of all the places. Um, quickly after that, a couple of weeks later, she had her first brain surgery where they went into the back of her, her head and they, they took about a three-inch circle of brain material out of her and stitched her all back up and then gave her radiation treatments. When my mom was going into her first surgery, she wasn't good. None of us were good. This was all brand new to us. She was crying before they wheeled her in. She was panicked. She was worried. And so were we. Uh, we were all standing in the room and didn't know what was going to happen. Nobody in my family had ever had brain surgery before. In fact, I didn't even know anybody who had had brain surgery before. It was scary. Absolutely scary. So she went through her first surgery. Everything went fine. Went into uh, about 12 months of remission where she gained back pretty much full function. And then all of a sudden the tumor came back. And so we're going in for surgery number two, um, kind of the same procedure, going back into the same spot, going to trim out some more brain and, and, and deal and cut out the cancer, basically, and then stitch her back up and treat her uh, with radiation again. And this time, a year later, we're standing in the, waiting, in the, in the room, <clears throat> waiting for them to wheel her out. And, and my mom is different all of a sudden. A lot had happened in a year. And she's laying in the bed, and she's, she's actually encouraging everybody else in the room. And she kept telling us, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. The first surgery, she was like, I'm scared. I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. The second surgery, she's, she's going, it's going to be okay. And she wasn't saying it through the filter of fear. She was saying it like, like a, a, through the filter of faith. She was just saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I realized today that that moment did something to me as her son. It taught me something and imparted something to me that's allowed me to walk through all the things that I've walked through deep down inside knowing that it's going to be okay. Jesus never promised us a pain-free, trouble-free life. In fact, he told us the opposite. He said, if you give your life to me, I'm just telling you right now, it's going to get rough. It's going to get rough. You're going to have all kind of things happen to you. You're going to see all kind of crazy stuff. And besides that, we live in a fallen world where things happen. And he never promised to remove all of that from us, though he does protect us. And I think one day we'll see his hand of protection over us and we'll go, wow. But he never promised a pain-free life. But he did promise 
a future. <laughs> he did promise a present in his presence. He did promise to go with us through anything that we go through, say anything. So the title of my message today is, it's going to be okay. So look at your neighbor and say, it's going to be okay. With a little grin on your face like you know something they don't. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. As a pastor, I get to walk with people through some of the hardest parts of life. And then many times I've been in situations where I didn't have the words to say. Nobody taught me what to say when someone commits suicide. Nobody taught me what to say when uh, a spouse dies. Nobody taught me what to say. Some days I just go in and I, I, honestly, I don't know what to say. I'm just like, it's, it's going to be okay. That's one thing I can always hang on to is that it's going to be okay. One way or the other, it's going to be okay. I don't know how. I can't give you any answers. I'll do the best I can to bring some peace to you. But listen to me. Jesus is the peacemaker. The Holy Spirit is, is, is the counselor, the comforter. I'm not, so, but I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to trust in them that it's going to be okay. They're on the scene. It's going to be okay. And some days that's the best words that I can have. So I want to show you something today in Acts chapter 12 that I believe all of us can have. <laughs> Go with me to verse 1 to 2. Remember last week we talked about spreading or increasing the spread and preaching the gospel. And up to this point, Jews and Gentiles have been getting saved by the masses. I mean, they're just everywhere you go, everywhere the, the disciples, the believers go. Remember last week, who, who does the preaching from last week? The believers. The believers. Okay. All right. Just want to see if you hung on to something from last week. Just thought I might would ask. So the believers were doing all this preaching and these Jews and these Gentiles were getting saved and all of a sudden, something strange happens. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, that there was, there was, about, there was approximately three Jameses in the group. This is James, John's brother, the, 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 the apostle John. This is his brother James. They were called at the same time. He's one of the original disciples. He's an apostle. So this is that James. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. I'm going to give you a few facts. I'm going to give you a few things. And then I'm going to get into a couple of points at the very end. And so King Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa, is a third generation king that is desperately trying to stop the movement of God's kingdom. There was Herod the Great. How many of you remember Herod the Great? He was the Herod who was there when Jesus was born, and he was the one who had all the babies killed because they were trying to find Jesus. That was Herod the Great. Then there was Herod Antipas, which was, which was, the, the, which was the Herod who was responsible for Jesus' trial. Remember that when Jesus went on trial? They brought him to Herod, right? And so he was that Herod. And then this is Herod Agrippa, and he's the one who's trying to please the Jews by killing Christians, watch this, for political gain. He was not in the least bit offended by Christians. He didn't have any issues with Christians. If anything, Christians created a more lawful environment. They, they created a more peaceful environment. He had no personal issues with Christians, but he knew that the Jews had an issue with Christians 
believers. And so to gain the Jewish vote, he decided to start killing Christians. Does that even sound remotely like the times we're living in? So it's believed that he's taking advantage of the prejudice of the Jews that they have against the Gentiles, and he's killing the Jews who have accepted the Gentiles. James is one of the first disciples. Watch this. James is one of the first martyrs. He's one of the first apostles that is martyred, which simply means murdered. He's murdered. Stephen was, was murdered. Several others were murdered, right? But, but James is one of the first apostles that was murdered. Why is that important? Because it is believed that the apostles had this thinking that we were almost untouchable because we were the original. And all of a sudden, when James is killed, a reality sets into the rest of the apostles that says, we are not untouchable. Whoa. It was a bold move by Herod to gain approval of the Jews. I want you to think for a minute. Imagine what the emotions were that followed his murder. John lost his brother. Peter lost his dear friend. Imagine the thoughts that's running through their heads now. They just killed James. By the way, when it says they killed somebody with a sword, it usually means that they beheaded him. They took their head off. You ever been in a scary moment? You ever been in a moment where it seemed like life and death? You ever been in a moment where it felt like an end was coming and you couldn't stop it? Verse 3 says, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. Well, if James was good, then let's go after Peter. Everybody knows Peter. Come on, even the devil knows Peter. Let's go after Peter. This happened to take place at the Passover celebration. James was killed before the Passover celebration. Peter's arrested after James. And Peter's arrested during the Passover celebration, which by, I don't believe by chance, but by divine intervention, it, it, it actually spares him some time and gives the church time to do something for Peter. James, it just sounds like James was arrested, tried, and murdered. And the church was in shock. For Peter, thank God it was the Passover because now he gets, to, he gets a little extra time. Is this making sense? So Herod pushes the envelope to gain more approval. First James, now Peter. And I bet the church is going, what will we do if Peter dies? Not to underestimate James, but this is Peter. I mean, this is Peter. This is, this is rock. The one that Jesus said, I'll build my church on. That Peter. He was the one that made more mistakes than anybody else but got restored better than anybody else, in my opinion. He's, he's that Peter, that Peter that had a lot of failures in his life, but God touched his life and, and, and restored him in so many ways. That Peter is in prison now, and James 
has just been beheaded and the church is still grieving the loss, the tragic loss of James and now Peter's in jail. Have you ever found yourself in a similar situation where it felt like, I know none of us have been in prison for preaching the gospel, I haven't. I got a long way to go. Pastor, arrested in Eunice for preaching the gospel. Big bald-headed guy. Took four cops to hold him down. Come on, somebody. Handcuffs didn't fit. First question, what are we eating for lunch? I'm sure it is gross. If you've ever found yourself in a difficult situation, here's the next question. How did you act? How did you respond? Did you fall apart? Hi, my name is Jamie. I've fallen apart plenty of times. Hi, my name is Jamie. I've been anxious plenty of times. Hi, my name is Jamie. I've walked in fear plenty of times. I've lost sleep plenty of times. I've worried plenty of times. I've boudeed to all my friends and my wife plenty of times. I, that's, who, that's who's talking to you today. The guy who didn't always get it right. How did you act? How did you respond? You see, I never want to teach you to fake it by any means. I don't ever want you to fake it. If you feel it, say it. I think I've raised my kids that way, that if they felt something, I want you to say it. I give them time when, when correction comes or they're upset. I give them time to process out their emotions, to express their emotions. I don't want to be the guy who, who says, suck it up, because that's how I was raised, and don't, don't express anything. I don't want to be that guy that, that, that leads a church to be fake. I don't want you to be fake, but I want you to be filled with faith. And when situations come, I want you to know how to act. Not fake. Real. Faith-filled real. How you doing? Shall you okay? I'm not okay, but it's going to be okay. Verse 4 says, then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers and the others stood guard at the prison gate. <laughs> Peter had a reputation. He was an escape artist, though he wasn't good at escaping himself. God always seemed to get Peter out. Come on, somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, God will bail you out, and you're like, whoo, I don't know how I got out of that. It's kind of like when you're speeding, and the cop passes, you go, <gasps> and then he keeps on going. <laughs> Y'all don't know what I'm talking about because you all drive the speed limit, right? Sorry, I made you lie in church. Sorry, apologize. Peter had a re reputation of being an escape artist. <laughs> this time they went to extreme measures to make sure 16 people. 
You think Herod was after something? He put 16 guards on Peter, chained two of them to him, and probably sat back and went, get out of that, bro. This dude's going to trial no matter what. 16. It seems to me that the greater the attack requires a greater miracle. Wouldn't you agree? The greater the attack requires a greater miracle to happen. Does that make sense? Like the more the enemy comes at you, the more God's going to push back against him. Right? Like the situation got big this time. Like he wasn't just thrown in jail. He, was, he had 16 men, two strapped to him. And God's like, oh, yeah? Is that the best you got? Really? You're going to stop me from doing what I want to do with 16 men? Did you forget I created those men? Did you forget I, I own the heavens and the earth? So Herod was waiting till after the Passover. There's a reason why he waited till after the Passover. I just want you to see his game plan and because I think you're going to recognize how the enemy comes against you sometimes when you understand how Herod came against the church. It's believed that Herod wouldn't do anything during the Passover because it would have offended the Jews. So the Jews had laws that said you, you don't arrest anybody, nobody goes on trial during these major celebrations. And, and this is one of the biggest. He's, nothing happens legally during these celebrations. So if, if Herod would have pushed the envelope too far and he would have had Peter on trial and, and beheaded during the Passover feast, it would have reversed on him. It would have backfired on him. And the Jews, the, get, the ground that he gained with the Jews would have been taken back and some. He would have highly offended them if he murdered Peter during the Passover celebration. So he had to wait. So he charged 16 men to keep him. Peter was on, if I can say it plainly, Peter was on death row. Honestly, he wasn't waiting for trial. Peter was waiting for execution. He knew the cards were stacked against him. He knew what the odds were. He knew that there didn't seem to be any way out of this, but he also knew who his God was. He's on death row. And then it tells us that the church prayed very earnestly. And this is important to understand because there's a couple of ways we can pray. We, we, can, we can pray several different ways. It's like having a conversation, Right? If you can simplify prayer, prayer is like having a conversation. Sometimes you have a casual conversation, right? And then sometimes you have a, a conversation that's like 911. One of my kids recently got into an accident and they called me. And, and, and they, they, when they called me, I answered the phone. When I answered the phone, I heard sirens in the background. I heard traffic. My heart dropped. And I said, are you okay? And she goes, yes, I got in an accident. That was a different conversation. Does that make sense? Sometimes 
you got to get a little loud. Anybody good at getting loud? Sometimes the conversation is different, right? Because it requires a difference in the tone. It requires a difference in the expression. It requires a difference in the urgency of the conversation. So if you think about prayer, prayer can sometimes be a very solemn type of prayer, but then sometimes it needs to be a very earnest in, in emergency type of prayer. And the, the believers freshly realizing Peter, I mean, James was just beheaded. They go, now we're praying earnestly. I just want to teach you something. That word, that word earnestly means to stretch out yourself in prayer. It's, it, it uses some imagery, like, like you're stretching out to grab a hold of something that almost seems impossible, but you're stretching. That's what earnest means. Earnest means I don't know if I'm going to get it, but I'm going to keep stretching to see if I can get it. You see, we got to, you better wake up. We got to start learning how to pray. Sometimes you need some earnest prayer. Come on. You need to stretch out and reach. It's like you almost, it's like the guy behind bars reaching for the key that somebody dropped. And go, ah, I gotta get the key. Because sometimes the situation calls for earnest. Stretching out. Reaching for something. You'll never know if you can get it till you stretch for it. You see, the church felt the pressure. If something happened to Peter, it'd be devastating for the kingdom. And so they stretched out for him. They reached out to grab something that seemed impossible. I mean, think about it. James just lost his head. They had to bury James, and Peter gets arrested right afterwards. Don't tell me they didn't know what was going to happen to Peter if they didn't pray. But Peter's sleeping. You know anybody sleeps good? <laughs> my wife's family was all was all born with buttons. My brother-in-law, if he sits down too long, he's got a button, right, Mimi? He's got a button. He'll fall asleep in a heartbeat as long as he sits down. My wife, she sits down, button. We watch movies together. She lays back five minutes ago. God, it was funny. You woke me up. Like, my God, woman, we just laid down. Peter's sleeping the night before he's tried. That word sleeping is the Greek word koyomeo. It's important to understand what the word means. Because he wasn't just resting his eyes while being anxious about what was coming. When the Bible says Peter was sleeping, Peter was dead asleep. Listen to the definition of the word sleeping, koimeo. It's to sleep, to slumber, to decease. To be dead. I'm serious. Like, I looked this up. Like, I was like, what? To decease? Bro, that's some sleep. 
I've heard stories of people that own horses. Horses can sometimes sleep so hard they look dead. I've heard stories of, of people driving by pastures and they see a horse laying down and they, and they call somebody and say, hey, there's a dead horse in this pasture. And then everybody comes running out and they go run up to the horse and the horse is like, he was dead asleep. He wasn't laying there anxiously trying to sleep. It didn't say Peter was trying to sleep. Peter was dead asleep. How do you get dead asleep when you're on trial? How do we sleep when we're going through stuff? Am I in the right church? If you'd have walked up on Peter, you'd have thought he was already dead. Chained to two guys. He's sleeping with strangers. Some of you have been married so long, you don't sleep good by yourself. Much less with a stranger. And chains. Verse 7 says, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell. And the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and say, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. I used to torment my kids. I would, I would wake them up. I'd walk into their bedroom and I'd kick the lights off. Poof. It's just mean. Right, Ethan? Dad, come dad. My wife can't sleep if there's a crack in the, in the curtain. And the mo- Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like the, like the button on the bottom of the TV glows red all night. Oh, that stupid button. A bright, the Bible said a bright light shows up in the prison cell and Peter's still sleeping. He's still dead asleep. The light didn't wake him up. The angel had to strike him. Get up, Cletus. It's time to get out. That's sleeping. So, so how could he be that calm? Like really, like this is where it meets us at today. This is where this, this chapter 12 just kind of, it, it, it just runs into us this morning. Like how can Peter be this calm when he knows what's getting ready to happen to him? How can Peter be this calm on death row? How can Peter be this calm when he knows he could potentially lose his life? He didn't fake it. You can't fake dead sleep. Come on, somebody. I used to fake sleep when the kids would, when they were babies and they would would cry. I'd act like I didn't hear them. Don't laugh at me. Guys, you did the same thing. Hey, the baby's crying. He wasn't fake sleeping. How can he be this calm? What does it take to sleep in jail? That's the question I want to pose to you today. What does it take to sleep in jail? I'm going to try to sum it up with one word, and then I'm going to try to unpack that word for you for the rest of our time together. What I believe it takes to sleep in jail is assurance. Assurance. 
So I did an exhaustive study on the definition of assurance. Listen to what assurance is. Assurance is firm persuasion, full confidence, freedom from doubt, certain expectation, the utmost certainty, firmness of mind, undoubting steadiness, excess in boldness, freedom from excessive modesty, timidity, and bashfulness. Assurance. Assurance is a word we don't use very often today. But if you believe when you die, you're going to walk into heaven, you have a certain percentage or a certain amount of assurance. Like if nobody can convince you that you're not saved, you have some assurance. Come on. You have some, but but you don't know if you're saved. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. Oh no, bro. I know. I have some assurance. Peter had assurance. He had a firm persuasion. He had full confidence. He had freedom from doubt. (laughs) He had a certain expectation. It never says that Peter knew exactly what was going to happen to him. Peter didn't know the angel was going to break him out. I think if he'd have known the angel was going to break him out, he'd have probably been awake. If I told you an angel's going to visit your room tonight, are you going to sleep? <laughs> What's wrong about I can't sleep? He had assurance. Where did, where, did, where did Peter get this assurance from? That's what I want to talk about today. How do I get this kind of assurance? Because as believers in the world we're living in today, we have to have assurance. This is not the time or the season to be wavering and wondering. You don't need to be a ship tossed by the waves. You need to be anchored to the rock. You need to know what's going to happen to you the minute you die. You need to know who your God is and that he can do anything. And you need to rest assured that no matter what happens to me, God is with me. We can't afford to be wondering anymore. We can't afford to be guessing anymore. We as the church need to know that we know that we know. No more bashfulness. No more timidity. How do we get this kind of assurance? Number one, Peter had a relationship with Jesus. Now, don't go checking off on me because you've heard this a hundred times. Peter didn't have religion. He didn't have a make-believe relationship with Jesus. He didn't say the Christian words to make somebody think that he had a relationship with Jesus. Peter knew Jesus, and Jesus knew Peter. Big difference. Peter didn't act like he knew Jesus. You could hang around with Peter and realize he knew Jesus. Right? Religion makes you, tries to make you believe that I know Jesus. Relationship is you come get around me, you're going to see Jesus. Come on, it's not religion, it's relationship. It's only formed in one-on-one time with Jesus. Come on, I'm always challenging you to read your Bible and pray and spend time with Jesus and worship and listen, right? Why am I challenging you in that? Because you need assurance that comes from knowing Jesus. 
having a relationship with him. Not a Sunday-only formed relationship that's going to take way too long. You need a daily personal relationship with Jesus. Peter spent three and a half years building the relationship with Jesus. He learned how to trust Jesus along the way. And many of us in this room today are learning how to trust Jesus along the way. Peter and Jesus' relationship developed so good that it got to the point where Peter could hear Jesus' voice amongst many other voices. This is powerful. How many of you got a lot of voices in your, in your life? I didn't say in your head. <laughs> Might have get you signed up for some. Anyway. But how many of you got a lot of voices? There's a lot of voices out there, right? If you watch TV, there's a lot of voices. If you're on social media, there's a lot of voices. The most peaceful time I can have in my life is to turn everything off and sit down. Oh. Can you recognize Jesus' voice in the middle of all the other voices? Because there's some voices you can't shut down. Peter's assurance came in part because he knew he had a relationship with Jesus. Number two, Peter knows that he is loved perfectly. And this is massive. So massive. 1 John 4.18 says this, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, listen to this now, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. The love that God has for you has no fear mixed in it. In fact, it expels fear. When the love of God shows up, fear has to run. John said, if you are afraid, it's that you're afraid of punishment one day. If you're afraid of punishment, then do you have assurance of salvation? If you're afraid of, of standing before God one day and him making the decision of whether or not you get to go into heaven, do you have assurance of salvation? Answer, no. You don't. Because if you had assurance of salvation, you would know that the day I gave my life to Jesus, Jesus, judgment was kicked to the side. And the only judgment I will face is whether or not I get rewards. But when I die and I stand before Jesus, it's going to be, come on, buddy, get into your rest. Come on in here. Come on to eternal life in heaven. There's no doubt about it. There's no fear of punishment. As a believer, I don't need to carry fear of punishment. If I have fear of punishment, then there's something wrong with my assurance. There's something wrong with my understanding of salvation. Which can flow out this way. If bad things happen to me, do you automatically think God's punishing you? If 
flat tire. Oh, God must be punishing me. What did I do wrong? Is that the first thing you go to? What did I do wrong? Oh, I must have messed up. Oh, what did I do wrong? God's punished me. Oh, God let this happen. Oh, oh, golly, I'm a, me and God's not good. Oh, man, I knew I should have read my Bible. I didn't read my Bible. Oh, my God. Oh, man, God's punishing me. Do you hear how stupid that sounds? But would you not say that all of us have thought that at some point? There's something wrong with our understanding of God's perfect love. So John wraps it up with this. He says, in this shows that we have not fully experienced, listen to this, we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Okay, so I haven't experienced it all yet. Okay, it's okay to be there. Keep going after it. Keep asking for understanding. Keep opening your heart to God's love. Keep meditating on how well he loves you. Keep going after it. Keep receiving it. Let him love you. Most of us have an issue letting him love us. We don't have an issue of whether or not he loves. We just have an issue letting him love us because we still believe we're a kuyong. We still don't understand that salvation wiped the slate completely clean. And by the blood of Jesus, I am 100% clean. And this new relationship I have is untainted. It's unstained. It's not dirty. It doesn't have my past in it. It's a brand new relationship with the God Almighty. Peter knows that he's, he's loved perfectly. A mature understanding of God's love removes any fear of God's judgment. <sighs> Peter knew that no matter what happened to him tomorrow, he was going to be okay. He was not afraid of any judgment to come. That was done at salvation. And Peter was, knew that he was not headed for punishment, but he was headed for promise. <laughs> this is what Peter knew. No matter what happens to me, there's only good things in front of me. How can Paul write, if I die, great, if I stay, good? Like, I can't lose. How can he write that? Y'all okay? So Peter had a relationship with Jesus. Peter knows that he is perfectly loved. Uh, the more I understand how much God loves me, the more I learn how to rest in him. Number three, Peter had real faith community. Some of you, this is for you. <laughs> I saw faces when it came to this point. I'm not going to say your names. Peter had real faith community. He didn't have religious friends he had faith-filled friends. Boy, let me tell you something. When your life hits a crisis, you don't need religion. 
You don't need people to, to just come around you and, and quote scripture like that's going to fix everything. You don't need people just to do, you need some, po- some folks that know how to be earnest. You need some folks that know how to stretch out for you. You need, some fo- you need some folks, in fact, that pay attention to you, that they stretch out for you before you even tell them what's going on. Peter had real faith co- community. He had friends that kept up with him. He was not a loner, a maverick, or a lone ranger. He had friends who knew where he was, knew what he was going through, that were watching out for him. (laughs) If you're all alone, it's because you allowed the enemy to isolate you. He used something in your life to bring isolation into your life because he wants you to stay away from the people that will stretch out for you and grab a hold of the impossible for you. That's what he's trying to keep you from. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be a maverick. You don't have to be the lone ranger. God places the lonely in family. Peter had real faith community. I just want to bring this into this because sometimes people can rely more on their friends than they do on God. Peter's friends were not his God. Oh, did you heard me? Because some of you run to your friends before you run to God. Show got quiet up in this church. Some of you will go to social media before you'll go to heaven. Does that make you feel better? Your friends are not your God. Peter knew that God was his source and his community was his resource. He knew that God would use his community to help him, but he knew that his community was not his source. You got to get this right. You got to get this right because some of you run away from God more than you run to God. And all he's doing is inviting you to run to him first. So the angel wakes Peter up. This miraculous thing happens. He walks out of jail. The chains fall off of him. Nobody wakes up. Sixteen men don't wake up with the bright light either. They might have been dead sleep too. Who knows? And, and Peter, Peter walks out of the prison. In fact, he thinks it's a dream. <laughs> he thinks he's dreaming. As he's walking out of prison, gates are opening for him. Cool story. Come on, somebody. One day I believe we're going to get to see how God delivered us out of the prison we were living in. We're going to see gates swung open that we had nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. Verse 12 says, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. Now, did somebody text him and tell him where, that, where the prayer meeting was? Did he, did he scroll through social media real quick to find out where the prayer meeting was? How did he know where the prayer meeting was going to be? Because he had real community. He knew his people and his people knew him. So he could be locked up in jail, dead asleep, chained to two men with another another 14 men watching him and get up, miraculously come out of the prison and know exactly where to go. This is so important. This is so important. You need to know where your people are. And your people need to know where you are. God puts you in family so that you could be known and so that you could know. 
come out of that jail, come out of that loneliness, come out of that isolation. It's not good for you. It's a trap. The enemy's keeping you from what can help you. Question. Two questions. Who are you keeping up with? You ought to write this down because you need to answer it. Who are you keeping up with? Next question. Who's keeping up with you? You really need to answer this question. And you need to be honest with yourself. Because some of you are in denial that you're in isolation. But you are in isolation. You may walk into a church on Sunday and still be in isolation. Who are you keeping up with and who's keeping up with you? Peter had assurance in part because he had real faith community. You know what it takes to have real faith community? You got to learn how to get naked. I don't mean that literally. Because some of y'all would have took that the wrong way. You just got to learn how to live open, transparent. Not with everybody. For the love of God, not with everybody. But you got to learn how to live naked. Like I'm not holding nothing back. I'm not keeping this little secret thing in my life over here and I'm not letting nobody else see. I'm not letting my insecurities be a barrier to keep me from real relationship. I'm, I'm going to go into this relationship. I'm, just, I'm not good at people. I'm not good. I'm an introvert. God made me this way. There's nothing wrong with it. But I know that an introvert can stay in a cave too long. And so I need some extroverted friends. Like I'm an introvert. I like to be alone Come into the relationship that way. Because an extrovert will go, oh, yeah? I'll get you out of that cave. That's a challenge to an extrovert, right? They'll wear you out. I don't want to come out of the cave today. Oh, you coming out, buddy. You coming out, you coming out. You got to be honest. Got to be open. At 47, I'm realizing the more honest I am, the more God does in my life. The more I hold, the more it holds me back. Are you hearing me this morning? Like I just got people sometimes I just get brutally honest with. My wife and I went away a couple a month or two ago, and we're riding. We had like a five-hour drive, and the Holy Spirit had been dealing with me about some stuff I needed to confess to her that I didn't want to confess because I'm supposed to be the, the godly man of the house. I'm not supposed to have any failures. And He said, confess it. <laughs> and it's easy for you to say. And so I confessed it. You know what happened in our relationship? It got stronger. What the enemy was lying to me, telling me was going to tear it apart. Actually, God reversed it and made it stronger. Why? Because I wasn't holding anything back that was holding me back. I was open and honest. This is who I am. This is what I've done. Here it is. I just want to live clean. I want to have a clean slate. Here it is. I am so sorry that I did this to you. I'm so sorry for being this way. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And then I had to be willing to take whatever was coming back. But she was gracious. 
My God, she was gracious. Whatever you're holding is going to hold you back. So Peter had a relationship with Jesus. Peter, Peter knows that he's, he's loved perfectly. Peter had real faith community. He had other people in his life, but they weren't his source. They were just a resource. And then here's the fourth thing that gave Peter this kind of assurance and that we can get this kind of assurance from is Peter knew what was next. No matter what happened to him, Peter knew what was next. It's that same thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. It's that, hell, you don't bow? If you don't bow, I'm throwing you in this fiery furnace. <laughs> Whatever, bro. Like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> like, I mean it. If you don't bow, I'm going to throw you in this fiery furnace. You want me to walk in or are you going to escort me? <laughs> What's going to happen? Like, let's just go do the thing because I'm not bowing down to you because my God is my God and I don't bow to anybody else but my God. And so you're not going to get me to do that. You're going to go get me to compromise, so you're just going to have to burn me. But just notice that if you burn me, you just gave me a promotion. Like I just burnt up out of here. <laughs> so, whoop, I'm gone. He knew what was coming next. He knew what his eternal destination was. Heaven was as real to him as earth was. Heaven wasn't this mystical mysterious place that he hoped to get to one day. He had experienced heaven on earth. We get to experience heaven on earth. Your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know what you're praying? God, I want to experience heaven now so that I sink my teeth into it so deep that nobody can pull me off. I can remember at a young age, I lost a lot of family members before 25, I believe. A lot of aunts and uncles. And I can remember going to funerals at a young age. I don't know if anybody else is like this, but I, I could almost feel the funeral. I could almost tell if the person was going to heaven or if they were going to bust hell wide open. I'm not saying I was 100%, but I felt something when I was younger, and I still feel it today because some funerals have a, a certain measure of grief because you've lost somebody for a temporary moment of time until you get together again. But then other funerals where you're just not sure, you're just left with an assumption, you hope that they know God, those feel differently than the ones that you know they're going to heaven because there's assurance there. Where there's not any assurance, there's a deeper, heavier grief. And I, I do the best I can. If you say, oh, they're going to heaven. I'm like, I believe, I believe. But if I'm being honest, I hope I'm wrong. You see, if you know, you know. If you know, you know. How do you know that you know? I'm trying to get out of this. I just got myself in this weird cycle. And how do you know that you know? You know it in here. In here. You know it here, there's, a, there's an assurance. 
There's a confidence. There's, there's, there's an attitude that says no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to this temporary body, I will spend eternity with my Father in heaven. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, and then I'm done. He said, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light, like the light will come on inside of you, so that you can understand the confident hope that he's given you. That he's given to those he called. Listen to how he describes those that he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Look at your neighbor and say, you are God's inheritance. That's the best thing you told him all day. keyboard player or a guitar player. I'm not prejudiced. <laughs> or both. Double down on this thing. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he's called. Listen to me. People don't want to hear your preaching today, though that does not mean that we need to stop preaching. We're never, it never says to stop preaching. Though people don't want to hear your preaching, you know what they're going to hear? They're going to hear your life. They're going to hear your emotions. They're going to see how you react. You don't have to be perfect. They just need to see Jesus in it. Amen? And you don't need to be fake. You need to be faith-filled. And if you can't explain how you're going to get out of this pickle you're in, that's okay. Just tell them, I don't know how I'm going to get out, but I'm going to get out. God's going to get me out. heart is flooded with light, you can now understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called. That's assurance. That's assurance. We need to be assured people. No matter what comes at us, assured. Does it hurt? Yes, it hurts. Can you cry? Yes, you can cry. You can have faith and cry at the same time. You can grieve with faith. You can suffer loss with faith. Just because you're suffering does not mean that you don't have faith. you got assurance I want us to make this confession this morning
Say this with me. Say, I am his holy people. I am his rich and glorious inheritance. That's who I am. Now, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for an incredible moment with you today. God, help us to be people that are in a deep, rich relationship with you, Jesus. Help us to be people that understand how perfectly we're loved. Help us to be people that have, have real faith community. And I'm praying for every person that's hiding right now, that they'll come out of the shadows and into the light. That come out of isolation. Come out! I pray like Peter, Lord, that you're our source. And you may resource us with people at times, but you're my ultimate source. So for every person who runs to people and things before they run to you, I pray that changes today. God, I pray that we walk and live and speak and act and react with an assurance like Peter's assurance. That when the world's trying to put us on trial, the world's trying to kill, steal, and destroy, the enemy's coming at us with everything that he has, we're dead asleep. Almost saying, I'm dead to you, Satan. Or you're dead to me. Help us to be people that knows what's next. So nobody looking around this morning, if there's anybody in this room today and you don't know that you know, you don't know. You don't have any assurance of what's going to happen to you when you die. Don't dare walk out of this building today without responding to Jesus. If that's you, just simply lift your hand real quick. thank you for our time together. Thank you for all that you've done in and through us. Seal this word in our hearts and use it to give the world around us hope and life in Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We bless you for our time together. You are so good. You're good. Thank you. In Jesus' name.